you have once again wandered in or found Full Contact Cannabis, which is our lovely podcast sponsored by Tennessee Homegrown. And I'm here with my co-host and just a wonderful person, Mark Stepp of Uppercut Media in LA. Good morning. How's everyone? Fine. Good morning, Mark. <laughs> and Patty Zanin, is that proper way it's, to pronounce it? Actually, it's Zanin. It Patty, looks like Zanin. Okay, mm -hmm. I went all I went all Tennessee on you. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. okay. I'm, I'm I'm used to it. It's Italian. It sounds better the way I say it. I think Zanin. Oh yeah, Correct. Patty Zanin. Oh yeah. Hey, yeah. Patty, I have a good friend here in LA named Liz Zanin. Are you related? No way. Okay. You know what? I I have no idea. I don't. Not that I'm aware of. That's crazy. Go yeah, figure. It's a very unique name. So interesting. It is. They were up by uh, Lake Cuomo. Is where the family actually came oh. from. Yeah, I wish I knew more about it, but I don't. I actually married into the family and kept it because it was the prettiest of all my last names. <laughs> yes. <laughs> my wife loves Milan. She does. Uh, you know, I, I would love to go there, Harold. Yeah. Well, I've never been. I was, mm -hmm. you know, I'm a Northern European boy. Well, we, like I said, we have Patty here. We know you've had a long life of achievements, and I don't know if we have enough time to go through all those achievements. But if you can kind of condense it in a little bit and then your entree into cannabis. Thank you, Harold. And thank you, Mark, both of you guys for inviting me to be on this chat with you this morning. I'm sitting in Denver, Colorado in the middle of a snowstorm. And I literally look out the window and I look like I'm in a cloud. I just noticed my story is very abstract. Um, I'm originally from Michigan, born and raised, found my way. I got married really young, lived in Florida. Uh, while I was in Florida, we traveled extensively and had a house in Spain. And I tell you all this just to give you an overview, a little bit of what life looked like. And 10 years ago, um, I was living in Aspen, Colorado. I was married and had my children in school and I decided to get a divorce. And when I told the lawyer I wanted a divorce, you know, he said, well, what do you got to get a job? And I was like, what? I love real estate. So I started real estate. I went to residential real estate, moved to Denver and began a career of doing some fix and flips with a small fund here and getting to know Denver. And while I was doing Denver real estate, one of my mentors here bought a piece of property in Denver. It was 2013, almost 2014, when adult use cannabis was coming online. At the time, cannabis had been legal on the medicinal side since 2009, but had not come on the adult use side. My experience in selling real estate on the residential side really helped me out in marketing this building that my mentor had ended up getting. And it was a 20,000 square foot building in downtown Denver. The hunt was on for anybody that had real estate for these new applicants to attach to their, uh, their license applications. You had to have a piece of real estate attached to your application when you turned it in, either a lease or ownership. I was at the right place at the right time, you guys. I had been until this moment, a wife, a room mother, field trip, <laughs> mother, baking cookies and all that stuff. And when I realized I wanted to, you know, really make something out of myself, no pun intended, I just jumped into the real estate and the real estate was my entree to cannabis. It took me to indoor cultivation. It took me into consulting from the beginning to the end, basically. Could, could we stop right there? Because you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make them drink. So what was it that once you got introduced to the cannabis made you think you wanted to stay there? I, I thought it was so 
exciting. It was sexy. It was the bad boys. I grew up, I was the black sheep in my family. If you said to go left, I went right. The moment I heard that cannabis was legal, I call it weed. I've been smoking weed since I was 13. I remember the okay. very first time I took a hit off a joint and it knocked me off my feet. And it was some crappy brick from Mexico of something that somebody had taken from their parents' closet or something. I grew up being told cannabis is bad. I'm 60 years old, March 1st. And I saw Nancy Reagan on TV regularly and pounding it in our heads, you know, about the war on drugs. And my brain was going to look like an egg on the, the side of a sidewalk. And, and my parents were very conservative Republicans, Catholic. We went to church every Sunday, sat in the front row. In the meantime, my, my mother's an alcoholic. My three other uncles are alcoholics and junkies, but nobody ever talked about it. You know, you sent them to Betty Ford for 30 days and they came back and they were just on vacation. If you smoke weed, oh my God, my father was convinced I'd never be able to walk and chew gum again once they found out that I was smoking weed and, you know, when I was 13. Back to your question, why? I was like, this kid must be serendipitous that <laughs> I, got, I, I got sent away to this really nice private schools because I got caught smoking weed every time I got set somewhere. And here I am in the legal cannabis industry. And one of my very first build out projects was up in Chesaning, Michigan, which was about an hour and a half from the boarding school that my father sent me to the first time that I got caught. So, so when you say weed. build out, so when you say build out, explain yes. that, please. I served as the lead project manager, for lack of a better word, and put together the team to build out a 30,000 square foot building that was up in Michigan in a small town. I was uh, hired as a consultant to put that team together. Was that rec or med? Was that this rec was, or med? This was medical, okay. and it was going to convert. But they were getting, they already had, it was with a caregiver program. And it was, it's a different model than I'm used to here. I know Denver cannabis, like the back of my hand pretty much and Colorado, but the other States that I've worked in, I don't profess to know all of all of it. That's why I hire people to work with me that do understand the processes in each state. So I went up to Michigan and did that. But the quick back to the story, the reason why I brought that up, Harold, is the coincidence is it was right around the corner, basically, from where I went to school for smoking weed. And here I am getting paid, paying, I pay my bills with cannabis money. I've been paying my bills with cannabis money since 2015. You know, 14, maybe I got a little bit paid, but it wasn't until after that first year that things started to happen for me. Inquiring minds have to know. I know enough about Michigan to be dangerous. So what happened to that project? <laughs> like 99% of them, they fucking fell apart because nobody had their shit together. <laughs> Plain and simple. And they had money. You know what? Well, it yeah, takes but a team. It takes a team. I don't care how much money you have. These guys all wanted to be the king. Nobody wanted to be the prince. No, nobody wanted to be in charge of their lane. It was a disaster. But they paid me. They paid me on time and they did what they said they were going to do. But where are they today? They're nowhere. Absolutely nowhere. It's what it's mind boggling, isn't it? How could you well, be so smart and make all that money and you can't build out a darn cannabis cultivation go figure it's all greed <laughs> no oh, it's so funny it's Pat, not all greed a lot of it well it is definitely driven by the money it's a lot of ego there's a lot of ego in this industry well, almost as that. much as money well, trust me well, th that has been one of those things because we have marveled i mean one of the things on this podcast has been that people 
who were totally rational in every other aspects of their life, when they get into cannabis, lose their minds. It's intoxicating, girl. I think. <laughs> I'm serious. It's like a drug. It's like a drug. You know. Yeah. <laughs> no pun intended there. Yeah. yeah. Right. And but if you but think it about is. it. Yeah. Right. I mean, the profile of typical cannabis person, you know, at least in the business side, you have to have thick skin. You have to be a gambler. You have to be an entrepreneur. You have to be a huge risk taker by nature. And then that puts you in a better position. If you don't check all those boxes coming in, they're going to eat you up just and spit you right out. Um, well, and because you're going to lose everything too. Well, I know? understood that fake it till you make it in the initial part of the market because mm. people really were kind of making it up. I wrote my business plan for my business in 2014, plan in 2015. Part of it was fake it till you make it, but also but we had no idea what we were doing. The thing that amazes me that once that this industry had matured a little bit and where you can pretty well Google how cannabis is doing, whether it's THC or CBD, still the amount of people that thought, like I talked to this one guy was getting ready to spend an un, unreasonable amount of money. And I asked him this question, why is it that you think you'll succeed when all these other people aren't? And he basically said, I'm smarter than they are. And he crashed and burned. And it's, if, I had a, if I had a dollar for every time I heard that, I, I would be retired living in Fiji with some boyfriends. <laughs> it's just not, you know, it's just not, it's silly. And the silly, other thing I've, I've heard to justify why they'll succeed is all the people that are doing this are stoners. Yeah, there are a lot of stoners doing it, but you define stoner. I mean, I work with people no, that smoke no, cannabis all day. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's it well, is a well, misconception. Now they are, they do exist, and there's there is definitely you know that profile that is there. But you know, I just didn't want you. I didn't. I oh no, I, I'm I, not saying me. that because mean, okay. I'm a stoner. Okay, good. Me too. I smoke <laughs> cannabis all. I smoke all day long. That's how I get stuff done. Yeah. But it's the, my equilibrator. But know? it's still these little, I, I don't know, I really don't. And then I think, and not that I'm anti-male because I'm happily a male, but mm -hmm. damn, there's too much testosterone in this business. <laughs> Can you imagine walking in my shoes for five I, minutes? No. Uh -huh. But yeah. most of the people that we deal with, our subcontractors and, and whatever, are all female. Oh, wow. That's great. I haven't had the luxury of working with many women on my side and for no particular, I don't know what particular reason, but the rooms that I sit in, the conference rooms or the cultivations, occasionally there'll be, you know, a woman in a support staff, but, and I know there are plenty of women owners, don't get me wrong, but m about my path, Patty's personal path, I've had less than 1% at the time, is there ever a woman involved in any of the transactions? So I, I've had to learn to work with men and be taken seriously, quite frankly. You know, I'm not fluff. It's usually okay. my meeting. <laughs> if they're well, in the same room, I, mean, I probably put that meeting together. So, uh, but, you know, men are men. I think in our experience, the smaller operations, the more boutique that uh, we see a lot more women in there. I think that would make sense. Yeah, I think awesome. you know the large cultivations in the corporate field still emerging for uh, mm -hmm. women. And also, I was going to say you bring up a good point, Mark. I mean, because I do, I've gone from working with the legacies to you know that stoned hippie to working with public companies. I've worked with four different public companies over here, so I walk both sides of the line, and I piss a lot of people off in some ways because I, I, I work with corporate. 
I'm sorry, but I also support the legacy and the people that are coming over to the other side. And I have done that for the last 10 years. Okay. So it's important. So you're right about the women. That's where I've seen the more women in the cottages and no, in the smaller operations. You're right. One of the things I've observed, and, and I think it's one of the problems, I'm not a big fan of corporate cannabis because they've lost more money than they've made. And they still tend to take advantage of different things and suck money out and not produce. The whole point of it is I can look at a corporate cannabis company and I can look into it to see how many women they have. And I can probably tell you how successful they are because mm. this is the one thing about it. I mean, I like women, yes, but there's mm. a reason why I choose to deal with women entrepreneurs. They mm -hmm. tend to be more competent because they wouldn't have been in the position they were in the first place if they weren't. A hundred percent. I don't disagree with you at all. I think, um, and I'd like to see more. In fact, that's one of my questions now when I'm vetting people, how many women are on your board or in your, in your leadership positions in your company? You know, that is an important question. Same with people of color. Um, it's all a conversation that is being, being had a lot more uh, regularly, I'm glad to say. But the Quite thing honestly. that gets but me But it's not is, perfect. It's not perfect, Carol. No, but, it, but no, what I'm saying is, though, it's to their detriment as a business. Agreed. If you look at other businesses, especially economics, in banking, a bunch of things, has much more participation of women in corporate mm -hmm. than cannabis. I mean, seriously. It's yeah, a, I, I believe you. You're pro I believe you. So, mm -hmm. you know, all right. Well, that was a downer. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, no, listen, the, pos the positive is that, you know, it is getting better. I'm on it, Harold, a little bit, because I do agree. I think we bring a whole nother sense. A woman's touch is a woman's touch, you know, and agree. she doesn't have to have a, deg a degree from Harvard to have the touch. Some of them, if you get lucky and you get one from Harvard and she's got the touch, even better. But there's still that feminine side and our organizational skills. I think, I just think we can, you know, the other, my other really negative thing about women, though, the good and the bad is emotional you can't do business on emotions not for me anyway but you also Dang. need to soften it oh really you believe that crap i do i do i, I believe that crap jarbo <laughs> well i mean I it, it's emotion but is that a bad thing i know it isn't but it depends whose money you're spending on your emotions <laughs> you know so those emotions are the things that they think about before they pull mm -hmm. the trigger Whereas a man, if he's on a serotonin high, buzzing with doggone testosterone, he's doing it because, bam, it feels good. Sometimes. I think, you know, perhaps. Again, I'm how many How many people in our industry, and I know examples of this, were starting into pre-production on building a facility, heard about somebody else who was going to build a bigger one, and then changed their plans and re-upped it. All the time. I know, but that's what I'm saying about Women don't do that. Well, in this industry, almost anybody is, is eligible for this because nobody's done it before. This is really, you know, pioneers. You know, a lot has happened in the last nine years for me. There's still so much to be done. We are still an immature business industry. There's so much going on. So if these people look back to originally, you said earlier, you know, we're going to come in and we're smarter than everybody. Of course, they think they're smarter than everybody because nobody's been doing it to this scale. The guys who've been successful, well, okay. the black market guys, but I don't blame them quite honestly for not wanting to come over because of all the nonsense. No, but <laughs> you know, oh, it's not the nonsense. It hasn't been successful. 
Hear Define me successful. This. Okay. Okay. The elusive scaling up for economy. Cannabis is, my opinion, is one of the few businesses that if you scale up to a certain point, it no longer becomes profitable. And there's been time after time that the people try to come in here and get the economy of scale gearing up, not realizing how much logistics and everything it takes to scale up. And then they bomb, whether it's million square foot greenhouses in Canada or $40 million processing facilities in Kentucky. They all mm -hmm. came in and thought if they went big enough and they can I do remember. it. Well, it's I still remember. happening. And that's what I'm oh, saying is. It's happening, well, but not at the, the rate that it was before. And well, uh, I'm not going to argue with you about that, but I think that there's a lot of information that maybe you don't have about how successful they really are no, and how no, much but, more okay. successful Show, they're going to get. Tell me, <laughs> tell me the publicly traded companies that have positive cash flows, because I get asked all the time about people. If you were going to invest into a stock, a publicly traded cannabis company, which one you do? So occasionally mm -hmm. I drill down on these things and mm -hmm. I think it should behoove the industry to be forthright that a bunch of the Lark Tilray's, Madman, whatever, have bungled huge amounts of money. That's irrefutable, Harold. That's irrefutable. So You're right. my, my whole point is we drill down into this. Why and how can we change this? You know, I wish I had the answer to that, Harold. I've been keeping my nose down. Um, people hire me for my experience uh, and I give them what they pay for. Usually that includes helping build their business. And how do we do that? We come in and we do an evaluation of what they have going on and how we're going to um, set up our goals and our objectives, our strategies, our, how, how are we going to put it in action? That's how we come in and how I do my business. Well, my job I is to make them money. And I, I don't care about what other people are doing. I care about what I I'm getting paid to no. do at the time. And all the and the things that come as a result of that, I create jobs. Well, no, I create value. Uh, is what I do. It doesn't with that come grave responsibility. My responsibility goes to my clients and to myself. And yeah, I protect the industry, but I, with all due respect, unless the industry wants to pay my bills, I'm you know gonna keep doing what I'm doing. No, it's no, it's really I'm not, challenging. I'm not saying unless you I misunderstood do, you. No, I'm not saying you shouldn't do what you do. But I get hired as a consultant on a semi-regular basis uh -huh. and probably 35 to 40% after examining their situation, their marketing, the infrastructure, the mm -hmm. whole amount of people, I told them, don't do this. And that's what I'm saying. Isn't there yeah. times if you're responsible to your clients, you go, pass. Oh, I have. Oh, I've walked. I walk. If it doesn't meet, you no, know, I mean, I it's not so much walking. <laughs> no, no, no. It's not so much walking. But uh, insisting that, because this is the one thing I've noticed about oh, dealing with my clients, they uh, hear what they want to hear and they ignore what they don't want to hear. Harold, that's exactly it. And it's my job. I, like you said, you can take a horse to water. You can't make them drink. My job is to present all the information. I am paid for my opinion. Why wouldn't I give it to them? After that, there's nothing I can do. I'm a realist. It just, it's a very fine line, Harold. And again, it's, I do my job. And I do it well, and I love it. I love what I do. I get to go and do and meet people that I never in a million years would have met. But to your point, I've worked with public companies, guys who take companies public, 
they couldn't run a cannabis company to save their life, but they're going to come in and tell me how smart they are. They're going to do this. They're going to do that. They're going to hire outsiders. Like you can't hire outsiders. These are the people you need to hire. Those are the kind of conversations I have. Ultimately, I have no control over what they ultimately do. I, I bring them my resources. I bring them my expertise. I tell them the effect it's going to have on the neighbor. I tell them what the city said. I walk around with clipboards and I knock on doors. I ask questions. Um, that's why I drive into the middle of nowhere and talk to farmers to get, I want to talk to them in person. You know, I do all of that, Harold. And ultimately, their project's going to make it or it's going to break it. But Patty gets paid either way. <laughs> and that's how I've learned. It's really, really dicey out there. And, um, and there are a lot of really, I've fired four clients over nine and a half years. Um, one was uh, sexually assaulted me. Second one, two of them didn't pay their bill, weren't going to pay. And another one, he went and threatened one of my contractors in his, at his house and told him that he wanted his money back. You know, I said, are you kidding me? You can't do that. You're in America. This was a guy from Amsterdam. <laughs> from Rock yeah, he was from Rotterdam. No, no, but like being in America makes he, a difference. He, he, this is an example. This was a guy who was going to come from Rotterdam. He's going to show people in Colorado how to grow good weed. And I'm like, okay, buddy, bring it on. I find a building. I put a team together. All of a sudden, he doesn't want to sign anything. He doesn't want his name on anything. That was back when you could, everybody was doing it illegally. They would get a lawyers and they'd set up different corporations so that they could have ownership and they would get a proxy at somebody who had residency who would qualify for a license. You set them up and you do a, a, whatever kind of a deal. But basically it was predatory lending for the most part. Um, but guys like this one snuck in and you know, he was throwing cash around, paying me cash, and don't worry, Patty, we'll sign this, we'll sign that, hurry up, Patty, hurry up, well, guess what, he's a thief, and he's going around threatening people, so I turned him in, I turned his ass in, and his lawyer, I said, well, how did that go? Lawyer. Oh, he threatened me. No, I, no, he no, threatened, I'm talking about <laughs> he was going to kill me. When, when that, all right, because there's a couple times that I've been accused of turning uh, some of my competitors in, which I didn't do, because it's just, you know, oh, I come I from the old that. school. No, no, but what I'm saying is, well, though they were, and they got busted, and it was just like, ah, and so I got heat, and it's like, how did you do that? Uh, Why did you do that? And I was wondering if you ever got any pushback over that. Oh, I did. He threatened me. I've been, again, I've, I've been swimming with sharks, Harold, since 2014. Evidently, you, you yeah, enjoy it. Tell you, well, you I, to, I get you off I love it. I love it. I love it. <laughs> I solve problems for a living, Harold, and one of them is sometimes getting rid of these guys. Um, and yeah, criminal's a criminal. And this guy, he did, he threatened me. I actually had a very viable threat. And then I found out he got deported back to Rotterdam. So he went bye-bye. Well, you got to come but, into cannabis when getting threatened wasn't that big of a deal. Oh, people were being robbed. Or well, I'm just saying, when I, got, in, when I oh. got into cannabis, oh God, it was awful. I can remember getting bags of cash and having to make circles to make sure I wasn't being followed. Oh my gosh. I mean, oh there are gosh. people- I've heard know. stories. So yeah, he was an anomaly by the time you got into it, but- Yeah, yeah, but, there okay, were several. But why is it that you're a danger ranger? I don't know. I guess I just got to keep my mouth shut. But you know what, Harold, what I was thinking, you know what, one of the, the scariest, most violent times really were in my cannabis career has been with hemp 
Um, having farmers <laughs> get robbed. Honestly, guys getting robbed. Farmers <laughs> having, being robbed. Guys showing up with guns, pistol whipping the farmer and his oh, yeah. wife and locking them up in the barn yeah. in a room and taking off with a half a million dollars worth of material. They didn't blink an eye. Um, and they're horrible, right? That's horrible. One of my favorite quotes is from an article by Kristen Nichols of the Marijuana Business Daily. Uh-huh. Uh, he was talking to a, an analyst of it, and he says, well, you know, high THC is, you know, uh, the wild, wild west. Hemp is Mad Max. Yeah, yeah. And it Hemp, is. It's, it's I mean, easier I can, than the weed. One of the first big deals I ever brokered for hemp, I'm in a barn in Kentucky, right? And you got somebody who's just got uh, like about $100,000 in cash. Then you got the farmer who has these HB1 workers, none of them can speak English. So we're in this mm -hmm. barn and neither one of them trusts each other. And there's guns and money everywhere. And it's just like, this was not how it was supposed to be. <laughs> and, you, and you try to get, you know, sort of some psalm because I was the broker. And it's just like, I, and I don't like being a broker. I really, yeah. really do not like being a broker, but I knew both sides. And I didn't know it was going to get that gnarly when it came down to meeting. And yeah, it is, especially for one thing, I think high THC, the people that have been in it for a while, by and large, are more mm -hmm. honest. And I hate to say that, but it's there seems to be the people that were drawn to hemp. It wasn't so much about the plant. It was to get rich quick. Yeah, I, I think you're, you're right. In a lot of ways, I, a lot of the weed guys couldn't make it in weed but couldn't get a license, could get a license in hemp. So they were showing up in different, you know, areas of the country where they could for 25 bucks or whatever. I'm being joking, but plant some plants. And uh, they did brought the wholesome mentality, the same mentality. You know, again, I'm, I grew up in Bloomfield Hills, Michigan, went to a convent. You know, I'm, I, I reek white privilege. I do. I, I, it's just, I can't make that go away. So here I am working with people that think completely opposite that I do about how you get something done. And it's like, how do we meet in the middle so that we make this a legal transaction, a safe transaction, a repeatable transaction, or we agree we're never going to do this again because it's just been a crazy ride. I mean, I, I, I'm jumping around with you just because my brain is spinning now that you're no, stimulating no. all these yeah. ideas, you know, and these memories because the memories have been, I should write a book. It's been crazy. And half of it doesn't even sound real. The bottom line is, it's, it's some doesn't, of the, some, I, no, <laughs> have it, have it some of the most surreal moments in your life oh my been because of cannabis. I mean, where it's almost like an out of body experience. I, I believe so. Yes. With the exception of maybe one time that sticks out. I, yes. And you do kind of go, did that really just happen? Yeah. You know, um, or I can't believe you know, you just when you think things couldn't get any worse, they get worse. And it also time doesn't even matter if you have anything's in writing, you know, I mean, again, contracts, I think we talked about that earlier, you know, first when the, the, on the hemp side, when I started farming and went to the farms and was teaching them or trying to help them understand what was coming. I got plugged in through a crop insurance agent in Kansas and Oklahoma. She reached out to me in 216 and 17 and said, we'd like to invite you to come to Elkhart, Kansas and tell everyone about hemp. I, I said, okay. <laughs> so getting to go and talk to those farmers and realize I had never talked to a real, real farmer before. 
You know, I, I bought all my food at the grocery store and ate what somebody told me to eat. Now I know these are the people that have been growing the food I've been eating my whole life. I am so humbled. I just couldn't believe it. And they were all hungry. They were like, their crops are failing. The weather is taking them out. You know, all these different reasons, plus the promises of the pot of gold at the bottom of every acre that they were hearing about. So getting to go there and learn about their, their way of life and try to introduce this new idea and opportunity to them and how best to phase it in, not just shove it down their throat. Some of these farmers had, one of them had 50,000 acres. He had a, like Jesus. 500, he had like 500 of those circles. Each circle was 146, or I mean, they were all different sizes. Was it all planted in him? No, 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 oh, no, no, no. He was a farmer that farmed. Oh, he was a, he was he, a row cropper. Her, yeah. Her, he was um, wheat. Um, hey, uh, there was corn guys. It was a mixture, yeah. actually, uh, Harold. But my point it was so this was a guy who could farm that huge amount, right? I mean, these guys got tractors with um, GPSs in them that don't have people in them. So when I come and they're like, "Yeah, Patty, we can do this. How much can I grow?" And I'm like, "Well, how how much land do you know? What do you want to dedicate to it?" Well, I want to do it all. And I said, "You can't do it all. You know, you've never done this before." But they were equipped for it, but they didn't know the plan. So teaching them to understand what she's all about and how she grows and what she likes, what she doesn't like. They knew how to group the best corn in the whole world, but they, it took a while to learn and understand this plant. In hindsight, so glad we didn't do thousands of acres. We did a hundred acres. We did 20 acres. We did five acres. We did 11 acres. We did 44 acres, you know, and, and, and again, it was they were not, these were rotating in, they were not monocropping, they didn't give up what they were doing, they stayed on track, um, and the goal was to phase them into getting to do the farming. Well, all these people, while I'm out there doing this, I'm going to these little towns and introducing myself, there are these bad seed guys on the train. You know, it seems like every town I hit, <laughs> they were, they were, one, I was one town behind them, you know, and they say, are you with that guy with the seeds? And I'm like, what guy with the seeds? Oh, yeah, the guy God. from Canada with the seeds. And he was, he was going around, you know, giving them seeds that weren't feminized. But I mean, it was a dog and pony show is my point, you know, and uh, it just, it was hard to find an honest person. I'd like to think at least I'm an honest person. You know, I, I wasn't there to fuck anybody over. I was there to say, you guys, you called me, you want me to help? This is what I can help you with. So I helped them find genetics. I helped them get some sponsorships, some angel investors. We did some R and D. We got some really good data. We had some success. We had some failure. It was a learning experience. Then we had life. Then we had mother nature cancer took some farmers families you know members that took them out of the game then and i mean all these different things it was like one roadblock after another so anyway the the, the contracts understanding those they were putting contracts in front of farmers that they didn't know what the heck they were looking at you know and and they, there was no good lawyers back then um luckily now there's some better law firms to me it's a business it's well, a plant but it's a business for me for me, when I got call, called in generally was after they were in crisis management. And, yeah. it's, and it's exactly for what you said. Seeds, genetics cost as much or more money in Tennessee in the high CBD thing than about anything. Here, it's based on tobacco. You know, that a lot of the people who transitioned were tobacco farmers. 
which they were real, you know, they can do. But Mm -hmm. tobacco all matures at the same time. These people and those genetic companies out of Oregon, and I don't know what I'm saying. I'm not going to say names because we don't go down there. Mm -hmm. But there's people from Oregon selling F4 and F5s that first time you planted, there was five or six different plants. And that's what it was. This one tobacco farmer said, you know, I've been following you and da, 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 da. I don't think that this crop is doing the way it ought to do. So, yeah. and, and it's honest to God, it's like there was five or six different types, which the thing about him, he wanted to be able to go in his acres at over a two or three day period, hire, get his workers, get mm-hmm. it in, get it hung and get out of it. Now, if he wanted to try to optimize that, that, that gone crop, he had to go in there literally every couple of weeks, walk through the, the rows, find out what was mature and harvested. And it killed him. The, I can't the imagine. Killed. Yeah, so, I can't imagine. And so the Canadian thing happened here where everybody bought it and then it auto flowered. Yeah, that, yeah. That, yep. Was that plant supposed to be more than 18 inches tall? Yes, sir. <laughs> Uh, that's just the problem with genetics that's why you know I, I hope I get to talk about what I'm doing um, yeah, that's now but in a minute because this, right well because this that's a perfect example of where there's no traceability you know there hasn't been in the genetic markers and until now you could call anything whatever you wanted everybody's had you know creative licensing over everything they've seeds and clones and cross everybody's crossing everybody is now a, a breeder and so you really haven't got known what you're getting and let alone getting consistency and then what if you do have a recall tracing it back to its original source it's really it's it's, it's challenging so um uh that's what got me thinking about your seeds you know back to that silly story it was just so, horrible okay. to see because a lot of those farmers really lost a lot of money oh yeah um, that's what i'm saying it, 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 was just, pathetic. And, it was pathetic and feminized seeds it turned out oh i, I yeah. know a person who works at a processing place here and they would tell me you know because the big thing was down here was feminized seeds mm-hmm. you know that's how they could justify the doing a dollar, dollar mm-hmm. a bean I remember. Yeah. So they come in. We help them find places to compost the biomass after it's used. We're into composting big time. They would see this material. Some of it was so heavily seeded, you couldn't believe it. Hmm. It just, yeah. Because you try to do long scale, (laughs) eight, nine, 10 hermaphrodites will put a real big hurt on an acre. They sure will. They sure will. And, you know, not to mention all the other cross pollination. That you could be affecting other farms too. I mean, it's it is a bigger. I mean, the drifts here in Colorado a few years ago. Oh my gosh, they were in some on the western admit, slope. Though, Ooh. Have you have you ever been at, at a, a a seed crop when all the males decide to release? It's one of the coolest things. It's you've pretty ever seen. cool. <laughs> yeah, only one time. Only one time I timed it like that. And you're right. It's just an amazing plant. You know, yeah. it's just phenomenal. And, you know, also quickly back to the, the farmers that when we, when I started with hemp, all I had was CBD. We didn't have industry. Nobody was talking about fiber and grain or buy crops and try crops. There was one crop it was getting high CBD. And this was even before anybody started talking about the miners. I mean, we were just looking for CBD. So 
the farmers, they were said to be right off the bat. Yeah, we're, some of them really had an interest. They heard about the medicine. They've had family members that had tried CBD yeah. and had success. And even though they were, many of them my age, you know, back in the day too, I mean, very conservative towns, I might add, and religious and marijuana. They didn't want any marijuana in town. No marijuana, Patty. If it, we, 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 it's against the law. We, you know, we never would touch it. But if I could convince them that hemp, even though it's the same plant, is different and what we're getting out of it, what we were expressions we're looking from from this plant, it's not marijuana, it's cannabis, but we're growing you know, below that for the legal limit. Those are the people though that wanted to grow for fiber. They've heard about it from their friends in Europe. They've been doing it over in the EU for much longer and in Eastern Ukraine, they've understand some of the, the they've been able to use it and manufacture it and actually make, you know, have some traction with it. I said, you guys, I'd love to help you guys grow up because they have these big circles. They have the uh, irrigation systems. I mean, they're just perfectly set up for it. But at the same time, we had nobody to sell it to. So Man. now the way that things are coming, I've personally been asked to be involved in a company that's doing um, hemp, it's a bioplastic company that's now going to be compounding hemp composites with it. They are not going to, there's one guy, he needs, I think you said 500 million pounds. You know, I mean, it's going to be huge. Yeah, but this is the question. I have actually been hired and I have done both seed crops and fiber crops. It always seems though, like to incubate this business, it always comes down to the farmer having to subsidize it. I mean, Mm because that's the one thing as the reason why the fiber thing didn't happen in Tennessee. It was the, you know, egg for the chicken. Right, uh, right, right. Because uh, that's the reason why we grew the fiber in the first place. We had these pinky swears that they were kind of come in and build this big ass decortification plant. Well, yep, when I remember. They, <laughs> well, when they saw that there wasn't enough acreage planted, they said, "Well, Jarbo, we can't justify built, you know, spending a few yep. million dollars if there's only been a hundred yep. acres done." Yep. On the other side, I had farmers who tell me, "Said Jarbo, I'd rather make two hundred fifty dollars." on a corn crop than lose 300 trying to grow an acre hemp. So that's the thing it gets me. And one thing I'm a little is, is that a lot of times it seems that this industry is dependent upon farmers making the initial investment. Yeah, I, I don't disagree. And that's where it all starts. And I'm pro-farmer, Carol, don't ever- No, no, I'm not, I'm not saying yeah. that. But yeah. this is, but the, the people ask me, well, how come this industry isn't any bigger? Cause doggone, I well, like I said, I did my fiber crop what in 215, 216. Wow, yeah, yeah. And, well, see, we because the you know what the dream there was, don't you? We mm. were all gonna dual crop. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. we're gonna get that. We'll come yep. up with silage heads, we'll cut yep. off the heads, yep. but yep. it's it found out you can only serve one master. Either you pick fiber and the stalk at peak time, which meant the flowers weren't near as mature. Correct. Or you waited till the flowers mature and then your fiber sucked. Yeah. How do you farm, Harold? What's your farming techniques that you use in Tennessee? All right. Us or other folks? Well, you. I mean, just wondering how you farm. We're old dirt farmers. We believe in composting, soil probiotics, and mulching, mulching, mulching with conservation strips in between our little fields. Nice, nice. The only thing we buy as far as nutrients or uh, amendments is, is we broke down a few years ago and bought how many couple thousand gallons of fish emulsion, which Mm. seems to get better with age. 
<laughs> we're also into uh, uh, lactose probiotics. We use raw oh. milk. We think there is a correlation between human beings, cannabis, and probiotics because we seem to share them. I mean, if you think, well, if you do raw milk, you're getting a lactose probiotic that works real well in your gut. So we started playing with stuff. It seems that the same probiotics you eat to get you healthy will make your plants healthy as well. <laughs> We're very, very small. I do pride myself on one thing. I study the industry religiously and nothing against the corporations, but I knew if I wanted to compete with corporations, I could only do it by having a narrative of an artisanal product. I would agree. That's, so that's exactly what I would say to someone. Yeah. Exactly. We talk about the first, everybody having bad experiences. The first couple companies I went into where I didn't have equity in it, ended up turning out really bad and getting taken from me. And then they ended up crashing. The third <laughs> company, I met a wonderful man by the name of Lee Crabtree and we bootstrapped it. And I used my IRA. He kept his day job as a landscaping artist and we would grow, make a little money, invest it in equipment, whatever. Probably even got out in front of the industry too soon because we were had products on 2016 on shelves uh -huh. and it wasn't until 2018. What, what were your end products that you were, what were you growing for? Oh, well, well all, all well, oils? Uh, Was everything no, no. oil? No, well, first, it shows you how old it is here. At first, we were going to do a crop because there was a couple of people going to come in with seed press and other things. That didn't work. So, so by 2016, we had transitioned to a fair amount of it for CBD. But at that point, the state law wouldn't let us do anything except uh, lipid extraction. So we were hmm. doing things like topicals and edibles. And then 2018 with uh, now us to to do ethanol and butane. And then we were one of the first people to, in Tennessee to get into cryo. Lee Crabtree is a, a cannabis uh, Walter White. Hmm. Okay. Well, we're okay. nerds, right? We're just nerds. Yeah, 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 yeah. So because we, we didn't have any money, right? We were trying to figure out how we could do this extraction and then winterize it and not have loss of al alcohol and get a cleaner thing. So I don't know if it was drugs or whatever. We came up with the idea. So, <laughs> uh, well, what if we try to winterize it and extract it all at the same time? Because we didn't know right. anybody else who was doing cryo at that point. We're talking about. Mm. So and, and it worked. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. it was so we just started, you know, once that happens. Then you're into tinctures and a couple other yeah. things. And then 2018 happened. And then we started basically our first research, research into the miners, but really didn't move on it because there didn't seem to be a market. And then mm -hmm. when the Delta 8 thing, we were already familiar with a few things. And then it, it was, you know, all you had to do is Dr. Mashalom. Well, him and his... Mm -hmm gangster grad students in 2005, 2006, posted a really good paper, which was open source on conversion of CBD into D9, D10. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So that's, and so right now, I think 2022 is going to be an extinction year for a huge amount of cannabis companies. We've pulled in, we've tried to increase our margins. 
lower our overhead as much as possible, put enough banking money in the bank to last a year, and we're going to hold on. Huh. Good for you, Harold. Good for you. Because <laughs> it's going you know it. <laughs> to be gnarly out there. For one thing, no one knows what the uh, legal framework is going to end up. No, no, we don't. That's just it. It's just, it's still a crapshoot in so many ways. And how do you invest in that? You know, it's, 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 it's so challenging. Carefully. Uh, so, no, but and but now the new thing is because I, I love this how now there's enough companies who kind of made money and kind of got known that now international seems mm -hmm. to be the big thing. Do you know a guy by the name of Mike Lego? I've seen his name somewhere. I don't believe I know him personally. People who want to go into basically countries like Costa Rica and other and start trying to grow hemp down there. And basically he has genetics processing in use solutions for all those bad things. But I've noticed a bunch of people now that are, I mean, I started getting calls. That's mm -hmm. the other thing. When you start getting people who are, you know, talk to you from Jamaica, Colombia, where's the other one? Peru. Yes. Or no, one was U.S. Oh, Virgin well. Islands. Oh yeah. Well, St. Martin and um, yeah, yeah. And, what's the other one? There's yeah, another one. So, so now this seems to be kind of a doing thing and which is kind of, well, synchronicity. Isn't that kind of what you're doing? Yeah. Um, I've been got hired for a job I never applied for. It's crazy. I get to go international and do what I've been doing here on, on, a, on a much bigger scale, I'm working for a company called Theracan International, and it's an international supply chain company that started in, we have an office in a business in Canada, it was started in Canada and Ontario, but now home is home base is in Panama. It's a technology, it's, it's data-driven turnkey technical solutions for just about anything on indoor um, cultivation, it's agnostic. I mean, we're agnostic. We are, we focus on cannabis medical research, um, but we also are, are going to be really knee deep in food um, and food insecurities and putting these systems in uh, different communities around the world where there's a need for fresh, repeatable batches of food for commercial use. So I'm really excited about, but yeah, cannabis, we are going to be I go to Panama probably next week. From there, we have a medical cannabis research project down in Zimbabwe that the building was just delivered and uh, the equipment is on its way. And by the end of the March should be started. Why are we going there um, and bringing indoor cultivation? Because of all different kinds of reasons, primarily the climate and being able to grow all year round in some of these climates that are more compromised than others. Some are very regular, but in Lesotho, it's at the altitude that one of the projects that I'm hoping to get to work on, they're at such a high altitude, they can go from you know almost freezing up into the 90s in one day into 24 hour period. So yes, there's a lot of outdoor cultivation, but to grow medical research cannabis needs to be done in a controlled environment. And what we're hopefully gonna do is spread the word that you can farm indoors too, that to be a farmer doesn't just mean in the soil. And you know, of course that goes against the grain of a lot of, lot of old school traditions. And that I, I'm a soil girl too, Harold. I love living soil. I love biodiversity. I like 
regenerative farming, Korean farming, I would love to see as many nations around the world adopt that. But until that point, until they can be self-producing, you need to have alternatives and indoor farming is coming. And it already is by 2050, I think Japan has to have, they right now import more than they export. Now they need to grow for themselves. And um, so that's part of the systems that we have. But cannabis is big and it's going to help create so many opportunities for people in these countries. I'll be in Zimbabwe, Zambia, Lesotos, then I go to Colombia, Medellin, um, and another place outside Bogota, um, you met St. Martin's, I'm hoping. Yeah, just lots in the pipeline, lots in the uh, pipeline. I, I, I have a question about this. The established cannabis companies who already have an established profit model and also the pipeline, Aren't these newer upstart cannabis entities going to be a huge disadvantage at first? I think there'll be a disadvantage if they don't know how to do it right the first time. Well, I think if they don't do their homework on, first of all, what, what, what are they growing? How are they going to grow it? Well, but no, see, I, I always work backwards. Okay. How do you sell? What is going to be the distribution? It's already sold. Well, it's sold before we grow it. That's the trick. We have contracts and offtake agreements with research Isn't and universities that will be, I mean, the, the gloves are off. I mean, you guys saw now in the States, the DEA, we have a DEA license available actually in Pennsylvania that we're thinking about using for medical research. But now that you, you can apply for that and do that, um, we've been on hold. COVID took a lot of plans and put them, put them on, on the, the shelf, you know? And a bunch of the, the dust is being wiped off right now on some of these projects that were literally ready to pull the trigger, ready for deliveries that came to a screeching halt the minute that COVID closed us all down. So there's a lot of, um, you know, really cranking up right now what was already in the, in the works. And people are saying, okay, we're ready. We're ready. Where is it? When can I have it? So this is going to be the beta testing of the large scale. I think so. Um, at least as far as I know, I mean, again, there's some big greenhouses. People, you know, I love greenhouses. I love greenhouses, but they aren't perfect for everywhere, you know, and there's, there's hybrids and I come from warehouse indoor cultivation indoor to me, you know, I think of straight up, you know, warehouse, these buildings that we're going to be putting the habitats in um, are, they can go in a, an agnostic building really. Um, we don't, and, and we control the environment the whole time. These these where these greenhouses, particularly in Africa and in these climates where there are going to be such extreme changes, they're not going to be able to control all that. It's just not possible, you know. And they're growing like a sea of green. You take, you know, it's just it's just going to be a ripple down effect. And I don't wish anybody bad at all. It's just going to be challenging. <laughs> doomed. Yeah, yeah I, not doomed. I, I, mean, I think uh, there'll be locations in the continent that'll be more conducive and uh, across the globe, of course. But the first quick fix isn't necessarily a greenhouse, you know, unfortunately, you know, because I do. I just love them, love them, love them. All right. We're going to wind this up with a promise from you that in a few months you will do a follow up. I would love to. I was just thinking um, there's so much. I'm going to do some videotaping and I mean, this is going to be an adventure for me, Harold and Mark. Uh, oh, well, you're in cannabis. Well, it's on steroids now. It's, you know, it's, it's, just, uh, it's still the wild, wild west. Yeah, yeah it, it will right. be. And I'm going to be in places that will be nothing like Denver, Colorado. So um, 
it's going to be interesting. All right. We're going to wind this up. And right now is your shameless self-promotion part of this broadcast. Please tell people about where they can get a hold of you and where they can get a hold of the company. Patty Zanine. And I am a business development officer for Theracan International. And we're an integrated CGMP compliant indoor production, processing, distribution, and quality control technology solution for, um, for companies that, to give them a, an, an edge and an advantage ahead of the curve. And a lot of it is based on artificial intelligence um, and, and running these systems. It's about getting a repeatable, consistent, safe, practical batch out every single time. And so my email is pzanine, Z-A-N-I-N, at theracan.solutions. And it's T-H-E-R-A-C-A-N-N dot solutions. And we come full service. We've got a track and trace plant uh, product identification solution that can go on vegetables. It can go on cannabis. So there's all kinds of things. Like I said, we're an agnostic company, but we really do want to focus on cannabis and plant-based medicines and psychedelics as they come online as well, because the mushroom business is a whole nother conversation, Harold. Yes, it is. That, that, oh my Ooh. goodness. Oh my goodness. All crazy right. out there. Sadly, I'm going to wrap this up. Mr. Step, I apologize about not letting you participate more, sir. That's okay. I'm the quiet one. It's all good. <laughs> All right. Hey, hey, Patty, one thing to think about real quick. Are you still involved in real estate? I am. I don't know if you have any knowledge or interest of the hemp building construction products. I have some. I do. And, you know, and also on the real estate side, I'll just say I, I also have a real estate partners that are people that will come in and help on the purchasing and build out of this real estate for companies that are looking for a real estate partner as they're growing their business. Great. So there's different, there's different avenues that you can do. You know, I've got all the money to do the build out, but damn it, I can't buy that building and that I could lease it and I could pay, you know, I could afford that. So I've got people that will buy these buildings and do just that, at least back. But, you know, we need good quality side, you know, solid business plans. But it's a great tool and you can do buybacks, you know, it doesn't mean you give it up forever if you don't want, you know, it's, it's a great, a great way. And also, you know, the logistics of putting all of one of those buildings together. Great. Looking, looking forward to talking about more of that next time. Of course. Thank you for the invitation. Okay. This has been Mark Stepp of Uppercut Media in LA, Harold Jarbo, AKA the old hemp farmer. And this is the Full Contact Cannabis Podcast. And we've been talking to Patty Zanine. And I want to thank you all very much for tuning in. And as always, keep one eye on the weather and the other eye on the market. Thanks. Full Contact Cannabis is a Tennessee homegrown and uppercut media production. You can find Tennessee Homegrown on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. Visit our website, tnhomegrown.com, for more background and information covered in our podcast. Post-production services provided by Uppercut Media and can be reached at uppercutmedia.com. Howdy, folks. This is Harold Jarbo, a.k.a. The Old Hemp Farmer. And I just wanted to thank all you people that have been listening to us, downloading, and also heading on over to our sponsor, Tennessee Homegrown, and buying their wonderful products. We can't do it without you guys, and we know that. 
and we will always listen and we will always be there for you as far as our products and also information about our products. Tennessee Homegrown, once again, wants to thank all of you wonderful folks for listening to our podcast and buying our products.